Well, good morning, church. How are we? Last week, Kirk Funk was here, and he was making jokes about people asking, is Pastor Brian sick? And I wasn't, but I I am now. (laughs) So I'm not blaming that on Kirk. But uh, this morning might be rough just because my voice is uh, having a tough time. So let me start out of the gate and piggyback on that prayer and pray for us. Let's pray. Father, this morning our prayer is that we would be aware of you your presence and your goodness. And this morning, as as we continue to work through Philippians chapter four, where Paul is once again going to encourage us to look to Christ and the strength that's only found in him. Let us not deceive ourselves because that is a message that we need to hear every single one of us this week. And so we give this time to you. We invite you to move fiercely amongst us. We pray these things in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. This past week, Emma has had a friend here from Australia. And they met some three or four years ago. And and Nicole graduated back in December because Southern Hemisphere, it's summer right there now. So she she graduated from high school in December and she had always planned on coming to the U.S. after graduation. But because of this friendship with Emma, Nicole stayed with us for about a week. And she's doing this trip in the right order in that she came to Mannheim first and then she's going to New York City and then on the way home she's going to Hawaii. Because if she flipped that order around, after the beauty of Hawaii and the excitement of New York City, Mannheim would not have been that impressive. (laughs) Even though she's in New York now and she's saying that she misses Mannheim. But Saturday a week ago, we were down in D.C. and then on Monday we were up in New York City to drop her off with a friend who had just flown in from Adelaide. And I started this in D.C. back on Saturday, but on Monday, as our train got closer and closer to Manhattan, where we would leave her, I started to throw dad advice at her. And so we were on the metro on on Saturday, and, and I'm sitting there, and we're kind of at the end of... The, the train car, and both girls are updating Instagram, and I said, listen, when you're in a city, you've got to be situationally aware, because where you're sitting, if somebody rolls in on you, you've got no place to go, and when your head's in, in, in your phone, you can't see what's happening around you, so you've got to be aware. As we got closer to, to New York, I'd say, hey, you know what, you really got to hang on to your stuff. Make sure that you're staying in, in, in areas where there are other people. And if you're in a situation and you don't feel comfortable, get yourself out of there. 
So that as that train got closer and closer to Penn Station, as our time with Nicole was coming to an end, I felt this need to give her that dad advice. As we continue this morning in Philippians chapter 4, realize that Paul's time with these Philippians through this letter is quickly coming to an end. And Paul is just about to end this letter. And in chapter 4, Paul is throwing all kinds of dad advice at these people, this church in Philippi, because he's the spiritual father of this crew. And that's what we've been seeing over these last couple of weeks. Philippians chapter 4 verses 1 through 3. Paul has been saying stand firm, stand together. The way that we said this two weeks ago was that the one thing that unites the church and that is Jesus. So the one thing that unites you and I, that's Christ. And he is far greater than the thousand things that could divide us. Verse 4. Chase hard after your joy. Paul has come back to this point time and time and time again, saying that that of all the things that we chase after in this life, looking for our happiness, your only true joy will ultimately only ever be found in Christ. Verse 5, let your gentleness be evident. So because when you are able to be gentle, when you are able to be reasonable in a situation where other people are losing their minds, someone is going to look to you and say, hey, what's up with you? What's your story? And that demonstrates that you are anchored to something. You are anchored to someone far bigger than you. Verse 6. Don't be anxious, be bold. And there's a, there's a dynamic here, right? God is with you, so jump into that relationship. Come on, get into this. And the result of that is peace. Verse 5, going into verse 6 there, there Paul says, the Lord is at hand. And, and those couple of verses are all about prayer as this dynamic, real, interactive, conversational relationship with a loving Father who is the sovereign King of the universe. It reminds me of that picture that, that I kept, kept bringing to you as we, as we made our, our way through our praying scripture series about a month ago. And Paul's dad advice here is that the antidote to fear is to reach out and take your father's hand because he has been reaching out for your hand the entire time. And that's where peace is found. Verse 8. Think about these things. Paul gives us a whole list. And this is not a list of happy thoughts that Paul is asking us to think on. But rather, Paul is encouraging us to look at Jesus, who ultimately is the one who is truth. Is the one who is honor. Is the one who is justice. Is the one who is the definition of purity. Is commendable. Is excellent. Is worthy of praise. In verse 9, if you ask the question, okay, Paul, but, but what does all this dad advice really look like lived out in the complications and the messiness of life? Is this all theory? How does this play out 
at ground zero, Paul's going to say, look to my life as, as a tangible, concrete picture of someone who is chasing hard after Jesus in the midst of the messiness of life. Because messiness and complications, these are Paul's story. Paul, Kurt actually referred to this last year, or last week, sorry. I'm all messed up, right? Kurt referred to this last week when he said, you have to realize that when Paul is writing to these Philippians, he's not sitting on a beach drinking pina coladas. The Philippians are facing tough times. Paul is facing tough times. He is a prisoner on death row. He's been wrongly accused. He's awaiting a trial that could go either way, life or death. And you and I know how this story ends. Paul gets executed. So Paul knows all about the complications and the messiness of life. They are Paul's story. And so I want us to stop and to make this real for us because this is where Paul goes next. So with a show of hands, how many of us have complications and messiness in our life right now? Let me see your hands and I want you to look around. Because... That might seem like a Captain Obvious kind of question, but so often as as you go through the complications of life, you feel like you are the only one and you're not. We're all facing stuff. And so my second question to you then is, what do those complications, what does that messiness look like? I'm not going to ask you to name that or call that out loud, Right, because we're doing this for you, but I want you to take a moment to picture that complication, to picture that messiness, to picture that, that circumstance in your mind. The details of that situation. The face or the faces of the people involved. How that situation makes you feel. Because what I'm trying to do is to allow you to feel the weight of that circumstance so that we do not blow by what we're about to see because let's call it that is our tendency but that we feel the weight of that messiness so we don't miss what Paul is about to tell us because Paul is about to tell us all about contentment. You have to know that when it comes to your contentment There are two enemies to your contentment, and they are anxiety and discontentment. And they're related, but they're different. Anxiety, to define it, says the situation is too big. And discontentment, in looking at that situation, says what I have in facing that situation is too little. Anxiety focuses on the complication. Anxiety focuses on the scariness, on the seemingly impossibility, on the overwhelming nature of the complication of the circumstance. In discontentment, the complication, that circumstance is still in view, but the focus shifts so that discontentment focuses on what you bring into that complication, your abilities, your resources, your tools, and discontentment comes to the conclusion that what you bring is not enough. 
So realize that anxiety is raw fear. And there are so many elements in our culture that will play off of that sense of fear. Life is scary enough by itself on its own. But that fear card gets thrown down by the media over and over again. And discontentment is all around us. That sense of of not having enough. My my guess is that tonight, most of us are going to watch a football game. By the way, a football game that the Philadelphia Eagles are not playing in. Just saying. That's for those of you that dogged me for dogging the, the, the Eagles earlier in the season. And they said, no, no, this is the year for the Eagles. Four words for you, I told you so. Back to the point. But a football game where every commercial break will will try to seduce you with bigger, better, faster, newer, sexier, tastier, and that list goes on, that what you have, that what you are is not enough, so run out and get you some of whatever it is that they're selling, whatever it is that they're pushing. So anxiety and and discontentment, right, with with these definitions in view, let me ask you this. In that situation, that complication, that messiness in your life right now that I had you conjure up a few moments ago, how many of us are prone to anxiety? Can I see your hands? How many of us are prone to discontentment? Can I see your hands? How many of us are prone to both? Right? That's me. Okay, so what we've just said, the whole reason that we've done that, what we've just said is that we need to hear what Paul has to say to us this morning about contentment. So let's read. Philippians chapter 4, starting in verse 10. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly. Paul's back to joy. That now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. So these Philippians have sent a care package to Paul because of the complications, because of the mess that Paul is in. These Philippians have have sent a care package to Paul via a dude named Epaphroditus. We talked about him back in chapter 2. But it took some time for them to raise the funds to get this care package to Paul. So as Paul is writing this, he doesn't want the Philippians to be worried about him because he wants them to know that, that no matter what had happened, regardless of the timing of the arrival of this care package, he was good no matter what. And Paul tells us next how he can say that. Verse 12, I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him, through Christ who strengthens me. So I'm going to pull two points out of these verses this morning. And the first is, I have learned. 
What Paul is telling us is that he's learned the secret to being content, which means that Paul doesn't come hardwired. Paul does not come out of the box hardwired for contentment. It's something that he's had to learn. So the question becomes, how does Paul learn contentment? Well, there's only one way that I know to truly learn contentment. And it comes from going through the scariness, the seemingly impossibility, the overwhelming nature of the complications in life. Contentment comes from going through those situations where we feel like we have too little. I wish I could point you to a shortcut, but I can't. Because it is only by going through the messy situations in life that you are faced with a choice. And the choice is, will you look to your circumstances? Will you look to that complication? Will you look to that messiness of your situation? What you don't have as you face that situation? Or will you look to the one who is walking with you in your circumstances? Right? Because it's only in that messy situation that you come to this decision point, that you come to this crossroads. Right? Paul tells us this in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. Paul writes, For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, which is Paul's way of saying things got so bad that we thought that we were going to die. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Then if you flip the page, chapter 4, but we have this treasure in jars of clay. The thing about jars of clay is if you drop them, they smash They shatter in a thousand pieces. They are like us, so very fragile. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way but not crushed, perplexed but not driven to despair, persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. What Paul is saying in both of these verses that in the darkest moments, he learned reliance on God. That God was there and he learned reliance on God's power. That through the messy situations that Paul had faced, Through those messy situations that threatened him and his contentment, Paul had learned that he was not alone. Because ultimately, that's where anxiety, that's where discontentment comes from. A sense that as you face the mess of your life, you are alone, that you are powerless, but that is not the case for you if you are in relationship with Jesus Christ. And that brings us to our second point, which is verse 13. I can do all things through him. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So if Paul has learned contentment through the mess, Can we recognize that sometimes we only look to half 
of what this verse is saying? Right? In the West, we've made this verse mean, I can do all kinds of awesome things through him, through Christ who strengthens me. But as we've just seen, right, through Paul's situation and his story, and in this passage, that we're not just talking about awesome not just talking about plenty, not just talking about abundance. That's why Paul calls out that he's learned to be content in whatever situation, that he he knows how to be brought low in any and every situation, both good and bad, that he's learned to face, yes, plenty and abundance, but also he's learned how to face hunger and need. And I bring this up because you and I need to know that that Paul is not just looking for his strength in Christ for awesome to meet his goals and aspirations. Paul is looking for his strength in Christ for his moment by moment in any and every circumstance that comes his way. And because Paul is looking to Christ for his strength, Paul is able to say, come what may, Good times and bad times, complications, messiness, bring it all because I am good. And again, it's because Paul has come to that crossroads, that crossroads that we represented a few moments ago with the question, will you look to your circumstances or will you look to the one who is walking with you in your circumstances? Because what we're seeing here is that Paul answers this question by saying definitively, I am looking to Christ, I am looking to his strength. That's how Paul answers this question, but how do you answer that question in in your circumstances that are complicated? How do you answer that question in the circumstances that you face that are messy? in that situation that I asked you to picture in your mind just a few moments ago. And if you say, Brian, if I'm being honest, I'm looking to my circumstances, and if that's you, my follow-up question is, how's that working out for you? Because I know the answer to this one. Right, As someone who is very prone to anxiety, as someone who is prone to discontentment, that answer to how... How's that working for you? The reality is that, that if you are looking to your circumstances, it doesn't work. If you are looking to your circumstances, you become a slave. That situation that you're facing, that circumstance that you're facing becomes your puppet master, and that is an ugly way to live. Maybe you'd say, okay, Brian, I get that, but How? My circumstances are complicated. My circumstances are messy. And I feel like my focus just gets pulled to the scariness of my situation, to how little I have facing my situation. But how do I look to God and know that he is with me in my circumstances? So I want to ask this as a live question to all of us because so often Our truth is, is that we wrestle with these kind of things and we wrestle with these kind of things alone. And our brothers and sisters in the church 
have learned a thing or two or three or four about what this looks like. So this is a live question for us. I want us to share with each other. Let me clean it up so it makes sense. Let me ask it this way. As you have faced complicated circumstances in your life, complicated circumstances that threaten your contentment, but as you have faced complicated circumstances in your life, how have you learned to look to Christ and his strength? What are the practical strategies that you have learned? So hit me up. All right, I got a couple things going on. So memorize key Bible verses. What else? I had heard something else. Fasting. What else? Prayer. What else? I heard something here. Getting with brothers and sisters who have been there before. We don't do a great job of that, do we? What else? Renew my mind to focus on the kingdom of God. You guys are quiet this morning, so maybe I'm pushing my luck. How about one more? Perseverance. Perseverance. Yeah. Here's the list that I wrote down. Time in Scripture. Not Okay, I've done my five minutes in 1 John. But time in Scripture in a way that I allow God's truth to wash over me. Carving out time in my day to be quiet, and that's hard to do, I get that. But carving out time in my day that I might hear him, grabbing a friend or two who know something about what I'm I'm going through that can point me to Christ, that are able to see Christ even when I can't in the midst of my circumstance. Maybe it's listening to a sermon or a teaching through a podcast. Maybe it's picking up a Christian book. Maybe it's turning on the radio or putting in the earphones to allow worship music to fill your head. Maybe it's having that conversation. Maybe that conversation that you've been putting off with a pastor who will point you to Jesus. Maybe it's a combination of all these, but the goal has to be to remind you that as a believer, if you are a believer, because I'm sorry to say, if you're not a believer, these promises that we're about to look at do not apply to you. And I don't say that as a threat, but I say that as, as an invitation. Why, why would you not want to get in on this? That these things that we do just don't become this checklist sort of thing, but that we are coming to these things to remind us of the promises that are ours in the gospel. Grabbing lines just from Romans chapter 8. Romans 8 verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. 
which means that if you are a believer, do we screw up? Absolutely. But we confess that and there is grace and there is forgiveness there that every ounce of wrath that was due you if you are a believer because of Jesus' sacrifice was poured out on him on that cross. And so there is no reason for you to carry the guilt and the shame of whatever you've done. Verse 31 and 32, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will we not also with him graciously, or how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? That God is for you. Verses 38 and 39, For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. For me, I've started back in the Psalms once again. And sometimes that means sitting down and reading. Sometimes that means just just grabbing a part of a verse and allowing the truth of that verse to bounce around in my head as a trail run. A friend and I are working through the book of John. I dial into the podcasts of great preachers, guys like Matt Chandler and Francis Chan. This past week, I've just been sitting in the quiet and in the dark, listening to worship music. But these are the things that I'm doing for me. I can't answer the question for you. What will you do for you? I ask the question this way. What will you do to remind your heart to not look at your circumstances, but look to the one who is so much bigger than your circumstances? To remind your heart that will always, always want to wander away if you let it to look to Christ and the strength only found in him because your contentment, your peace, your joy and realize that God is most glorified through your joy because your contentment, your peace, your joy are at stake and so what will you do? Let me pray for us. Lord, allow us to see in reality who you are. Allow us to surrender those things in our lives that prevent us from seeing you, who you are, what you've done, what you want, who you are inviting us to be, that you are the one so much bigger than our circumstances. We are not deserving. But in your grace, you have pursued us, you rescue us, you draw us, and because of that, you invite us to come to you and die that we might find and know in and through you true life. We pray these things in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.